0: Uh, so it is, uh, last Wednesday, I don't know if, if many of you know this, we're all Protestants in here, so a lot of us might not know this, last Wednesday was, um, Ash Wednesday, um, I went to an Ash Wednesday service in King City that my cousin, um, Jonathan had, it was a very good service, a powerful service, um. And it's where, we, where the church traditionally has celebrated, not necessarily Protestants, but celebrated um, the time of Lent, the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And let me just say from, from, the, from the get-go that most Protestant traditions do not follow Lent. I think the Methodists do and the Lutherans do, but most other Protestant traditions don't follow Lent because during the Reformation, um, there was a... You know, you've all heard of Martin Luther and 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 the Protestant Reformation and the father of Protestantism, it's Martin Luther, and it was a time when Protestants went in and we 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 changed a lot of things that we thought were wrong with the church. And trust me, there were a lot of things that needed changing. Amen. There were a lot of the the Reformation was needed, but I think that in in changing everything, we may have thrown out some things. The old saying is thrown out the baby with the bathwater. I think there are still some things that are good. I think following the church calendar is beneficial. I think it's beneficial for us at Christmas time to look forward to Christmas Sunday, where it's not just one day that we celebrate. It's a looking forward to an anticipation of Christmas, And like at Easter time, I think it's good and beneficial for us to travel and journey with Jesus through his temptation after his baptism and into his uh, uh, Good Friday where he is crucified and then ultimately into Easter's resurrection where uh, Resurrection Sunday isn't just one day that we get to celebrate, but it's an entire season where we get to celebrate. So I think that there is a benefit in following and looking at a church calendar and we follow The other calendar, don't we? Why can't we look at a church calendar? I mean, we're all happy when we don't have to work on Labor Day and Memorial Day. Well, that's not in your Bible, (laughs) but you celebrate that. I mean, the 4th of July holiday is not in your Bible, but people spend thousands of dollars on uh, explodable devices. (laughs) So anyway... Don't get all don't get mad at me because I'm talking about Lent and, I'm wanting to, and, and I want him to observe the church calendar, is all I'm saying. The the uh, Jonathan said at his service that the first Ash Wednesday was pre- performed like in 130 A.D. So it was like less than a hundred years after Christ that the, the church started to realize there's there's benefit in thinking about the fact that we are ashes, we came from dust, we're going to return to dust someday. So, anyway, so why, why am I talking about Lent? Be, just because, because I believe it's beneficial for us to look forward to and to celebrate not just one day the resurrection of our Lord. I mean, yes, Christians, every Sunday's Easter, right? Every Sunday should be Easter. But I think specifically in this season, it's good for us to reflect on the temptations of the Lord and, and a lot of people give up things for Lent. You don't have to do that. Uh, but we, we celebrate the temptations of the Lord and His, His trial in the desert. And trust me, I can, I can totally relate with some of the temptations of the Lord. I decided to give up sweets for Lent. And Ellie and I went to Culver's yesterday. And I, uh, I got a, a salad. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be real good. And we're sitting there minding our own business. And an employee of Culver's comes over with two scoops of uh, ice cream with heath on top of it. Two dishes of it. Would you guys like this? It's free. (laughs) And I said, I started to say yes. I had to say no. Okay, if you're sure, okay. She moved on. So we're talking about that, how funny that is. No more than two minutes had passed, and another employee comes over with a cone, an ice cream cone. Would you guys like this? It's free. And so I swallowed it like a Tylenol. No, I'm kidding. I didn't really take it. But I can understand. And that's, that's I mean, that really did happen. You can ask Ellie. I don't know what, I mean, the Lord, I think, was tempting me. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say that. James specifically says, no man should say the Lord tempts him. So forgive me, Lord, for that. Testing. The Lord was testing me. There we go. Anyway, (laughs) my whole point is that we sometimes... In the season of Lent, people will choose to give something up so that they can share in, I mean, and it is a very shallow sharing, trust me, share in the sufferings of Christ. It is very shallow not having sweets compared to what Christ went through. But it is a time when we can, when we, and, and trust me, some people give up things much more, you know, I, I've known people who have given up social media for, for Lent and then never gone back for their own good. And then people, people who give up things that they are going to really miss, and trust me, I'm going to miss sweets all right I mean I had a headache the first day I'm dying here Lord anyway but we're called to take up our cross right and a Lent is a time where and most of the time our cross is given to us the cross to bear is given to us but Lent is a time when we can choose to take up you know a small cross however small it may be just to show the Lord hey I I, want to share in your suffering because we're going to share in his suffering. Amen. Whether whether you give up something for Lent or not, you're going to share in his suffering at some point. Okay. So I said all that to say the next six Sundays during Lent, we're going to be um, talking about and and exploring um, a little series we're going to call Parables and Prophets. We're gonna look at the parables of Jesus, and then we're gonna look at the Old Testament prophets, and we're gonna, and it's all gonna lead us to resurrection. An Easter Sunday. It's gonna take us to a dark place. It's gonna take us to Good Friday. But then it's gonna bring us to resurrection. Amen. So so the next six weeks that and and included in those six weeks are our Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, but whether... I didn't know if you knew this or not, but both were predicted by Old Testament prophets. <laughs> Palm Sunday was predicted by an Old Testament prophet hundreds of years before it happened. Easter Sunday was predicted by an Old Testament prophet hundreds of years before it happened. Okay, so during Lent, we celebrate because... Okay, so Jesus is baptized. He goes into the into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. 40 days of Lent it doesn't count... Um, Sundays because Sundays are always celebration day. So if you give something up for Lent, technically you can have it on Sundays. But I'm gonna withstand because once I open that gate, it's gonna be hard to close it again. <laughs> I've been withholding from myself. It's kind of hard to get the horses back in the barn sometimes when when you open. So we're going to be talking about that uh, and, and and how it relates to our life. But this is fascinating to me, that as Jesus is baptized, and you'll remember, Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and he says, "John baptized me." And first, John's like, "No, I can't, I can't baptize you." And Jesus says, "No, suffer it to be so." You know, it, this must happen. All must be fulfilled. You must baptize me. He baptizes him. The heavens split open. The voice comes from heaven. And the dove descends and lands on Jesus. And if you know your Bible, you know that the dove is representative, yes, of the Holy Spirit, but also of new creation. Because Noah opened the window of the ark and he sent the dove out. And finally on Jesus, the dove has a place to rest her feet. Finally on Jesus, the dove can come to rest. On the new creation, the new Adam. Represented by Jesus Christ. Christ represents the new creation, the new covenant, as Jesus will call it. The new covenant of my blood. So the dove rests on Jesus as the new creation, as the new Adam. As the place where the, he can rest its feet after all the sin that Noah, of Noah's uh, world and all the sin of Jesus' world. So Jesus goes out into the desert and he's tried for 40 days. And that is what Lent represents. In case you were wondering, there you go. Okay. Parables and prophets. It's 1050. Last uh, Sunday, just so you know, I was dismissing service at this time. (laughs) (laughs) So if you weren't here last Sunday, you should have been. (laughs) Because you could already be headed to the buffet. My uncle used to say... Beat the Baptist to the buffet. <laughs> so we're going to look at a parable this morning. But it's a parable by an Old Testament prophet. So you're getting two for one. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 says, I think I sent it to you, Bradley. Isaiah 5.1. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Lord, I thank you for the words of the prophet Isaiah. I thank you for the word, Lord, I pray in these next few moments as we look into it, we will see ways in which we can be better caretakers of your vineyard. God, we will see ways in which we can uh, be conformed to the image of Christ and see ways in which we can be better keepers of the great commandments, the one to love God and the one to love neighbor. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is a parable told by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And if you read what is... If you, if you keep reading, you read about the judgments that are going to come, and you read about specifically some of the sins that are going to be judged. I read to you some there in a little bit in the last, um, last verse there. It says, he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. If you keep reading, you will read about um, people who have evil desires, people who are uh, given to drunkenness, people who have sins of greed, arrogance, and people who acquit the guilty for bribes. If you keep reading about what is going to be judged. And I I encourage you to read it, to read on. But those sins are specifically mentioned, and, and those who call evil good and good evil. God had intended this vineyard to be a place where mercy and justice flowed, but it was a place where bloodshed and cries were coming, coming from. His vineyard had become corrupt, just like all the rest of the vineyards. And, and he goes on, Isaiah goes on to say that the vineyard is the nation Israel. God had called Israel out to be separate, to be different, to be not like the other nations. In fact, we know that, that when they demanded a king, that God was like, why do you want to be like the other nations? Samuel, they have not rejected you, they've rejected me. So God had called the his vineyard out, the, the nation Israel out to be separate, to be to be this vineyard where where truth and justice and mercy was paramount, and where he was worshipped and God was served. But it became just like the other vineyards. And as I was reading that parable, because I honestly wasn't going to talk about that one but I, I, as I was reading Isaiah I was going to talk about Isaiah but I found this parable in there I thought about kind of what the church is becoming I believe that, that as we read this we can see some of the church in this vineyard we have been given a vineyard and we're, we're to produce fruit we're to produce grapes right right but I'm afraid that greed and selfishness and corruption is coming into the churches. The, 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 the big overall church. And yes, God is going to have a remnant. But, but, but I believe as we see things like that, they need to be called out and acknowledged. Just in the past couple weeks, a, a very well-known religious um, leader who had a huge ministry. Ministries in all over the world, Ravi Ravi. Ravi Zacharias is his name. A huge ministry. For 30 years held a ministry. It's come out that in his years of ministry, he was abusing and manipulating girls and women. That stuff needs to be called out for what it is. I mean, wrote books, was given awards, and now the church is being silent about it. Have you heard many churches calling it out? Have you heard many people talking about it? So... So we need to call out injustices when they are seen and when we see them. Or we're going to be like this vineyard that gets judged. What does Peter tell us? That judgment begins where? The house of God. We have been given a vineyard, and we are to be caretakers of that vineyard. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus tells this same parable, but he changes the end. Matthew. 21, 33, I'm sorry, 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. The parable begins the exact same way. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They replied, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. (laughs) And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So in Jesus' telling of this parable, he changes the ending because Isaiah was in the middle of it. Isaiah was one of the servants sent to warn the people to get the fruit and I, and Jesus finishes the parable and says they sent servant after servant and they killed him and stoned them and treated, and sent them away. But then finally he sent the, his son and his son was treated the same way and so I, god Jesus in this parable, God in this parable is talking. Mm-hmm overall about the greater plan of salvation how that it was going to be opened up to the entire world right how that it was given to a caretaker the caretaker didn't take care of it so now other caretakers is going to be opened up to the entire world and let me just stop and say this right here when I'm when I'm talking about this I am not please don't mistake when I when I say things like uh, Israel was the vineyard and that I'm Anti-Semitic, or that I'm speaking in that way at all, because there have been people who have taken scriptures like these and who have turned them that way, and who have turned against people of of Jewish faith and against people who are from the nation of Israel. I mean, look at Hitler. He thought he was a Christian. He used scriptures to try to justify what he did. So I just want to get that that I'm not saying that we owe a grit of debt. Uh, uh, A debt, a (laughs) gret. Why do I even try to talk? We owe a debt of gratitude to the Jewish people and their contributions. That's where our religion comes from. That's where God called out Abraham and through Abraham's line and David's line, the Savior of the world came. So I just wanted to get that. I I just wanted to say that. I don't want people... Walking out of here with the wrong impression, the wrong idea. That's not what I'm saying. But the gospel did come to them first. And because, because of their rejection, of it, it was opened up to the rest of the world. And they were given a vineyard, and, and it was not cared for. And God said he's going to send his son. And Jesus announces that he, it, this is the time. When Jesus tells this parable, he's, a, he's about to die. He tells another parable uh, about the, the talents. Do you remember the, the parable of the talents? where he gives one five, one two, and one one. The one with five turns it to ten, the one with two turns it to four, and the one with one buries it. He tells that later. He, I mean, Jesus is about to die, and he's saying, I, Messiah has come to collect. It's time, it's time to for the vineyard to produce fruit, and Jesus was the fruit of the vineyard. So as Jesus is getting closer to Jerusalem and closer to his death, he tells these parables, and, and, and the, the one of the talent has always troubled me, if I'm being honest. Because the guy with the one talent, he just didn't turn it into anything. He didn't lose it. His master, in Matthew 25, 26 through 30, his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned it would have received back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That seems pretty harsh. For just not losing. I mean, if he had come back and he had lost it, or, he, or if he had come to the master and said, Look, uh, I bet on some racehorses and lost. I bet what I didn't have. We now, I need a couple talents to clear your name. He didn't. <laughs> he just didn't double it. He just didn't produce it. And That, just, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem, I've always thought that that seemed a little harsh. And and I think it's for a couple reasons, and I'll get to one in a minute. But I also think it's so that we will take seriously the task given to us. To whom much is given, much is required. Amen? And, And so let me just tell you that here at the River Church, we take seriously the tasks given to us. And it's terrifying. At times, it is. It's terrifying knowing that we will stand before God and give an account for every word. (laughs) That's terrifying sometimes, especially when I get up here and talk about ice cream and Culver's and stupid stuff like that sometimes. But I hope the Lord knows I'm trying to make a point. (laughs) But part of the reason I think, part of the, the emphasis on this parable is so that the listeners will understand the importance of what we've been given, so that the readers will understand that this is serious business. This life that we've been given, this freedom that we've been given, this love that we've been given, we must be good caretakers of it. We, not, we, must, not, not mis, we must not misuse it. We must not take the Lord's name in vain in ways that bring shame to his name. By preaching some of the prosperity gospels that are out there. By preaching some of the the things that bring shame to his name. that, That are the true, I believe, taking of the Lord's name in vain. By how some of our forefathers did it by... And i 'm talking about in the church, forefathers forefathers in in the church who would write letters to support slavery or who would who would um, take out ads in the newspaper uh, to come against um, desegregation that 's using the lord 's name in vain. they weren 't good caretakers. We must be good caretakers. We must take this love and this mercy and this compassion that we've been given and be good caretakers with it. And not hold it to ourselves like the servant with the one talent. But we must give it away. Whoever wants to save his life, whoever holds everything to himself, whoever wants to save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever gives it away gains it. If this man had come to Jesus and said, or if this man had gone to a servant and said, I took that talent and (sighs) I went and did this, I tried to help, it would have been a different end. He just held on to it for himself. So I think that Jesus tells this parable in a way that makes us understand that what we have been given, there's there's some seriousness to it. Yeah, And I'm not telling you to walk around with your head down all the time and, and depressed and scared of God. That's not what I'm saying. We're to have the joy of the Lord. There's no fear in love. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about taking seriously your Christian walk. Taking seriously the the Christian walk that you are called to. It is not just a prayer you say and then that's it. It is a day-to-day walk of being Jesus in every situation. We don't just invite Jesus into our heart and then Hold them to ourselves. Like this servant. We get the talent and then we hold him to ourselves. And we give him away. We give him away. Okay. Like I said, that parable, the end of that parable has always troubled me a little bit. But I, again, I think it's that we are to be caretakers of God's vineyards. And we're to do it in a serious, we're to, we're to be serious about it. We're to take it seriously. As a church, we're to be a caretaker. As, a, as an individual, you're to be a caretaker of the love and forgiveness that Jesus has given you. And the best way to be a caretaker is to multiply that. And how do you multiply it? You give it away. Amen. We're to be caretakers. We, we can't let our greed and selfishness get in our way. Our duty and obligation to God the Father is manifest in how we treat our neighbor. Say that again. Our duty and our obligation to God the Father, as the caretaker of the vineyard that He has put in our hands, our, our duty and obligation to Him is manifest in the way that we treat one another, our neighbor, our stranger, and as uh, our stranger, a stranger, and as Jesus will even say, our enemies. That's the hardest. But Jesus said himself, "If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even the tax collectors and and the." Uh, Sinners do that. But I'm calling you to go above and beyond. We, don't be just like every other vineyard. Go above and beyond and do things that don't make sense. Love people that you, should, that you have no business loving. Do good to people you have no business doing good to. If, if there aren't people coming to you saying things like, why are you being nice to them? Or you shouldn't be helping them. Or don't waste your time on them. If people aren't coming to you occasionally and saying that to you, you're doing it wrong. If they're not coming to me and saying that to me, I'm doing it wrong. Man, why is it so somber in here? It's going to get... I got good news coming. I heard once that the, that the goal of all preachers is to... Is to uh, oh, I, I'm, I, I'm going to mess it up. But basically, to incriminate God, but then to rescue him at the very end. <laughs> Our duty and our obligation to God, the Father, is manifest in how we treat one another. The two greatest commandments are love God and love your neighbor. That's what Jesus told us. So this parable that Isaiah tells in Isaiah the fifth chapter, it's followed by Isaiah the sixth chapter where Isaiah sees God and Isaiah confesses his sin to God. And then the fire of God comes to Isaiah, but it does not burn him up. It purifies him. The angel went and took fire from God and brought it to Isaiah's lips. But it did not sear and burn up Isaiah's lips and make it so that he could not speak. It purified him so that he could speak. The judgment and fire of God when it comes to you. It, and it will come to you. And it's coming to all of us. I mean, we all have believed in Christ, yes but we're still going to have the fire of God that's going to purify us and make it so that we can speak. So in Isaiah 6, that happens. But then in Isaiah 7, we get the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. So in Isaiah 5, God promises judgment. Isaiah 6, God brings judgment, but it is a purification. And then in Isaiah 7, Emmanuel comes, God with us. And so Jesus tells the same parable as Isaiah 5, and then his death and resurrection is a judgment on the world. And then he's risen as Savior. Amen. Jesus comes. Okay, so in, in Isaiah 7, he comes as Emmanuel. The God with us isn't here only to judge us, but to walk alongside us. And to reap fields that he has not sown. You notice in that parable that I read uh, of the talents that he said, I reap in fields that I do not sow in. He reaps a harvest that he did not plant. And Jesus reaps a harvest that he did not plant. You know, the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. And on the cross, Jesus reaps wages. That he did not sow. Jesus did no sin, but yet he suffers death for our sin. He says in that parable, I, I, I reap where I have not sown. And that's what we see on Jesus on the cross. And and Jesus says, Take the servant out, cast him out into darkness. Jesus is the servant who goes out into the darkness and dies on the cross and takes the punishment that that servant deserved and that this servant deserves and that you deserve and all of us deserve. Jesus is the servant. Jesus defeats death by death. He destroys the power of sin. He destroys the power of darkness. And he reconciles us to God the Father through his death On the cross, Jesus was sinless, yet he was reaping the wages of death. He took on sin, death, and the powers of darkness so he could reclaim what was rightly his. Defeated death by death, destroyed the powers of sin, destroyed the powers of darkness, and he reconciled us to God the Father. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Colossians chapter 1. It's a pretty short chapter, and I'm going to read you the whole thing. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Thanksgiving and prayer. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the heading. (laughs) Thanksgiving and prayer. It's my first time reading the Bible. I'm kidding, it's not really. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you in heaven and about, which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Another guy, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay, I didn't mean to read all this. Here we go. Skip down to verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. See, the only way that we can be without blemish and free from accusation is to go through the blood of Christ is to accept the sacrifice in the blood of Christ. And that's what he was doing for us on the cross. He was taking, we, sh, we were the servants that should have been cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus took that and took on death, took on hell, took on sin, and he destroyed death by death. He went right through death, destroying it. Amen. And if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under, under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So we become servants to this gospel, the gospel that the servant, Jesus, Pastor Walker preached about that couple weeks ago, how that Jesus came to serve. He even tells us that the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to become our servant. So now we become servants to the gospel that he has given us. He destroyed death by death. Amen. So Jesus gives us this. So Isaiah gives us this parable. Jesus repeats the parable saying that this has happened. This is happening now. The son has come. And you are going to kill him. But the vineyard is going to be restored. Emmanuel is going to come. And the vineyard, and now we have in Christ, we are the body of Christ. And we are producing fruit. We are to produce fruit. The vineyard that God had intended from the beginning is now, hopefully, in us producing fruit. We are that vineyard. And that's why we must take it seriously, this call from God. This call to live as he lived, to walk as he walked. To when we see suffering, to answer that suffering. To when we see hate, to confront that hate with love. To when we see injustice, to confront the injustice with the truth. To when we see evil flourishing, we don't just say, oh well, there's nothing I can do about it. We either pray or we act or both. And I would say pray and act if necessary. But there are, there are places in the, the globe where we can't reach, but we must pray. There are things that we can't physically change, but we can pray. Amen? Amen. And then we act in our community and around us. Amen. So, so Isaiah gives us this parable. Jesus repeats the parable. You might not have been fascinated with it, but I was fascinated with the fact that Jesus repeats the same parable over and over, but changes it and announces that the son has come and the vineyard is now going to be restored. And the way that it's restored is that Jesus takes the punishment that was supposed to be for the servant. And that's you and me. And he takes our sin and our shame and our death and he puts it on there, and he nails it to the cross, Paul tells us. All of our sin, all of our shame, all of our death, so that we can walk in victory. But as we walk in victory, we must take this, the talents that he's given to us, and not hold them to ourselves, but give them away. God has given each and every one of us talents. God's given each and every one of you something that he is, he's asking you to do. You might never preach. You might never sing. You might never play an instrument. But you're Jesus everywhere you go. At your job. At McDonald's. At Culver's. <laughs> everywhere you go. You're Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to do. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to go into a time of communion where we're going to celebrate the body and the blood of Christ. But I I just want you to take with you a couple of things this week. Is that Jesus has come and fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah was, was talking about. Jesus has come and made the vineyard perfect that God intended from the beginning. He has taken on, he, he has taken the mess that we made of it, right? The mess that we have made of our lives. Because we could all give testimony of the mess that we've made of our own lives. Because God has given each and, of, each and every one of us, you could call it a vineyard. And we've all could testify of the mess that we have made of our own lives. But God has come in and he has taken from us the shame, the sin, and the death. So I want you to realize that then I also want you to take seriously the love and the grace and the talents that he has entrusted you with. And don't just hold on to those and think he doesn't notice. There is a world out there that needs all that you have to give. There's a world out there that needs your love, that needs your grace, that needs your compassion, that needs your mercy. They're waiting on us. Creation groans for the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. And if all we do is walk around and hold it all into ourselves, they're going to keep groaning. But we have an obligation. We have a duty to God the Father for the love that he has bestowed upon us, to to his son Jesus Christ for, for the work that he has done in us. But the way that that duty manifests itself here on earth is in our love of neighbor and in our love of God and in our treatment of our neighbor. So that's my challenge to you this week to know that all things are fulfilled in God and that you are restored back to what God wanted you originally to be because of your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, but also that you have an obligation to your neighbor to share that same love that you've been extended, the same grace that you've been extended, the same peace, the same mercy that you've been extended. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Paul and Pastor Walker if they will pass... The communion.